Uh, today my sermon comes from the book of John. So if you guys have your Bible, you guys, if you can turn to the book of John, um, chapter 4. Okay? You guys have your cell phones, your Bible apps. I actually have to... Um, oh, I have an Ephesians 4. John 4, okay? Uh, and if you guys don't have it, you guys can read it up here. Uh, it says, and I'll read it to you guys, uh, starting from uh, John 4, verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. He was about, he was about, it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that, Je- that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, verse is that, Woman, uh, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship, you worship what we, you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him, him must worship in spirit and truth. Um, the woman said to him, I know, that mes- I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so there we have this, uh, just this interaction that um, you, know, you guys have probably all heard of uh, with the Samaritan woman um, at the well. It's a pretty famous story. You guys have probably all heard of it and read it. Now, before we go on, just a brief history, we, just some short history lessons about um, Jewish-Samaritan relations. You know, um, Jews and Samaritans didn't mix because uh, Jews considered Samaritans like half-breeds, in a sense. Um, you know, Jews are very ethnocentric. They're all about, you know, we are the chosen people of God, and they see Samaritans as, you know, when um, the northern kingdom was conquered by Syria, 
you know, the Syrians took away the, Jew, the, the, the Israelites, but they left some behind in, in the area of Samaria for them to intermarry with um, Assyrians, right? And so that, after that happened, you know, the, the Samarians, you know, were a mixture of Assyrians, uh, you know, like intermarried with Jewish people that had been left behind. And so uh, when you look at the Samaritans, they, they actually are like kind of like Jews. They have their own version of the Pentateuch or the first five ver- um, um, books of the Bible. They have a Pentateuch, but it's just like a different version of the Pentateuch that they, that's passed down through their tradition. They also have a same, like a place of worship. And the Jews had Jerusalem. Temple of Jerusalem. The Jews had um, Mount Gerizim, which is like in Samaria, is where they worshipped the Lord. And this distinction about animosity between Jews and Samaritans—they just didn't mix with each other, right? They just, you know, they, they just didn't, um, you know, like hang out. They didn't eat with each other. They didn't even deal, have any business dealings with each others. And Jews saw Samaritans as these, you know, people that weren't Jews. They didn't consider them Jews, even though they were, you know, you know, half Jews. And they had a similar kind of um, ideology about God. They just didn't mix. And our scripture today tells us that he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Right now, some people interpret this as Jesus had to pass through because he had some kind of foreknowledge that this woman was there, and he had to minister to her. And we know that when you keep reading, we see what happens. This woman is transformed. She becomes like a believer in Jesus. And then she goes throughout the city in Samaria, this town, and all these people are saved. All these people come to know Jesus because of this one woman. And so people say that Jesus had this foreknowledge because he had, you know, he was God. He knew what was happening. Um, and that he had to go into the city in Samaria to meet this woman. Now, I believe this is just partly true. I believe Jesus had foreknowledge of this encounter with this woman. But I also believe that Jesus was not a regular Jew, right? A regular Jew, they had this road that, like, literally, it was a road that was meant for Jewish people to go, like, here's Judea, this is where Jerusalem is, here's Samaria, and if they wanted to get past Samaria, they instead of going through Samaria... The, the Jewish people created a road that goes along the 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 river the the, 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 the um, river and for, for them to literally bypass Samaria. It took a like, like up to a week longer you know journey, but they would take this journey just so that they didn't have to go through Samaria. Now I believe that Jesus was not like this. I believe that Jesus, if he ever had to go through Samaria, he would go through Samaria. He wasn't a regular Jew. He wasn't your typical Jew. Um, he was pragmatic. He wasn't going to add like a week's worth of travel just to avoid a group of people that he loves and that he's eventually going to die on the cross for, right? He's not going to, he's not going to reject these people. And so he, you know, although all of the other, you know, Jewish rabbis went around Samaria, he went through and he had this powerful encounter with this woman. Um, and so we know that this wasn't an ordinary encounter for Jesus. And it wasn't an ordinary encounter. It was, it, he was predestined. Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew what was, what, what was happening, right? Um, and, and, and as a Jew and as a rabbi, culturally and just, you know, socially, you know, Jesus should have nothing to do with this woman. And her also being a woman, Jesus, uh, shouldn't be talking to her because, you know, back then it was an extremely patriarchal society. If you think Korea, like in the 90s and in the 70s when I was young, was a patriarchal society, it was way beyond that, right? You know, it, it was like in men, any kind of respectable men did not talk to women in public, right? 
you know, like, like strange women. And so like, if I would have met, you know, some of, you know, although I'm not that respectable, say like I was out in the street and I, I saw, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk to women, right? Like it just, it's because it just wasn't done. It was a very male dominated. Women were secondary. They weren't like important. They didn't get an inheritance. Women got no inheritance, right? If you were born and you were a woman back then and you, and you were the only child, you would not get your inheritance. Your inheritance came through your marriage, right? You married a man, and then you got what your ma- what your husband had. If you were a woman and you were the only child, your inheritance from your parents would pass through like the the, the next male relative in the family, right? The male next of kin. They really had no they had no say in court. They couldn't defend themselves in court. You know, it was just was a very patriarch male dominated society. And so Jesus should have nothing to do with this woman. She shouldn't be talking to her, right? And, and so Jesus asking this woman for a drink is shocking to this woman. This woman's like, why are you talking to me? Right? She's like, why are you a Jew and a man? Why are you talking to me? Right? And, and so, you know, and, and, and she's also shocked, but, but there's, it, it goes beyond that because this woman was, was one that was rejected by normal society. Right? Um, she's drawing water at noon. It says the sixth hour, the Jewish count, like the day, it starts not at midnight, but it starts at 6 a.m., 6 a. right? That's when the Jewish day starts. And so the ninth hour would have been at noon when it's probably the like the sun is at a zenith. It's probably the hottest time of the day, like going into the hottest time of the day. Um, you know, the people that draw water, they come in the morning or they come in the evening. They don't come in the middle of the day because it's just too hot, right? But she's drawing water in the middle of the day because she's most likely, um, she's rejected by society. And we see why, because later on, Jesus confronts her and she's like, oh, you know, I've had five husbands and the man that I'm living with now is not my husband. And so we know that she's like a woman that's been, you know, that's kind of like been kind of rejected by society. Like the women think like she's like, a, you know, like very promiscuous and she's like a harlot and, and, and don't want to have everything to do with her. And then the man don't want anything to do with her. And so instead of facing that, she comes to draw water at noon so that she doesn't have to deal with all these you know, women. And so, you know, a, G- a Jewish rabbi would definitely not be talking to this woman. Now, all of these barriers that should have kept this conversation from happening, Jesus breaks all of that with four simple words. He says, give me a drink. And, and, and Jesus being the master communicator that he is, he gets to, he directly, like, he just, he just, you know, goes right to the, the, the matter, the heart of the matter for this woman. And, and, you know, for most people, the heart of the matter would be her immorality, right? So, like, when, when, when I was younger and I was first, like, read this story, the, the part that is always, like, accentuated to, to us was that she was an immoral woman and Jesus came and she forgave her and then, and then she became a good woman, right? But if you look at what Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about her immorality, right? Um, you know, like, Mina and I, we lived very immoral lives when we were younger, right? Mina, you know, you know what's up, right? And I also lived a very immoral life when we were younger, and, you know, I was a lot worse than my wife, but we both, you know, were not, you know, like, goody tissues growing up. Um, and, and when, I, I would think, like, if I had this conversation with Jesus, I would think that he's trying to get at my immorality, right? He's trying to get at, like, the things that I've done, you know the the, the 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 bad things I've done, the bad kind of life that I've been living. Um, but if you really look at what Jesus is trying to point out to this woman, it isn't her sins, but it's her thirst 
He's trying to get at her thirst. He's trying to address her hunger, right? There, there's a, 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 a desiring and a hunger in this woman, and this is what Jesus is trying to get at. It says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so he's trying to like like address her spiritual her like her spiritual life, right? Her spiritual I don't know if you guys can all see this, but uh, he's he's trying to like like you know talk about her spiritual thirst, her spiritual hunger, and you know, this longing that she has, but the woman is responding in the natural, right? Right. Um, you know, how are you gonna give me this water? You don't even have a bucket. He's like, she's like he's trying to address her her spiritual hunger that she has, and then she's talking about water, you know, like like drinking water and, and a bucket that she can draw water from. Right? And so Jesus responds again, now everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And once again, she responds in the natural. She says, then give me this water because I'm sick of coming up here all the time in the middle of the day to draw this water. Right? So basically what she says, like, give me this water so that I, won't, I don't have to be thirsty and I don't have to come here and draw this water again. Right? And so there's this disconnect, right? I try to find a like a not equal sign on my computer, but I, I wanted to put it right here, that these were not equal, but I didn't know how to make that not equal sign. If you know how to do it, you know, let me know. But she's trying to, he's trying to talk about spiritual, like hunger, spiritual thirst, spiritual well-being, living water, which is like the, like what he can offer. And this woman is talking in the natural. She's like, oh, like I'm thirsty. Like give me a bucket. You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me this water? Right? And there's this disconnect between what Jesus is talking about and this, what this woman is perceiving. Right? And so Jesus, and she's just not getting it, you know. And so Jesus uses the more direct approach. He says, "Go call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." And it's like, like you know, I've had. And so you're right. He says he he uses his word of knowledge, his his. You know, ability to, to know. And he says, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have, what you have said is true. Jesus gets to the heart of matter here, and I believe that it's not so much that she's had five husbands, and that the one that she's living with is not her husband, but the fact that there is a thirst and a hunger inside this woman, there's a yearning inside this woman, a longing for something more in her soul, and that's what Jesus is trying to address. He's not trying to address so much, you know, the, the, the sin aspect. You know, I'm not being soft on sin. Sin is important. Sin is bad. God hates sin. We should hate sin. But the way that Jesus is approaching this woman is not so much to condemn her about her, her sinful lifestyle, but trying to address this hunger and this yearning that is inside this woman. He knows like, like, this, she's living this life. She goes after man, after man, marries this one man, doesn't satisfy her, marries this other man, doesn't satisfy her, doesn't marry this other man, you know, doesn't satisfy her, had five husbands, and the one that she's living with now is not her husband, and he's, he's not so much talking about her sins, you know, which are bad, but he's trying to talk about and, and address this longing and this yearning that she has inside of her soul.
I'm not being soft on since sin's bad, but true repentance doesn't come from trying to not sin. Repentance is not trying to not sin. But it has more to do with satisfying the yearning and the longing that we have in our soul that is crying out for satisfaction. When we're satisfied, right? Sin, you know, like, starts to diminish in our lives when we're satisfied by the one that made us. So much of my life, you know, I, I lived a very simple lifestyle when I was younger and started from just this emptiness that was within me. And a lot of unhealthy things happened when I would try to fill that void, drugs, alcohol, you know, unhealthy relationships, pornography, even the things that seem like, like not harmless, like TV and and Facebook, I try to fill in all these different things like Instagram and, you know, like PlayStation, all this. I try to fill those things and, and, to, and, and experience these things in my life to satisfy and fill this, this void inside of me. But no matter what I did, I just could not do it. And, I, and I, as I'm getting older, I'm turning 47 in October. Start shopping now. <laughs> and the more I live on this earth, I realize like, like things of this world does not satisfy. Like, the, the, like it, it, it does for a little while, but it, they don't satisfy your soul. It's hard to find satisfaction, and it's actually it's impossible to truly find satisfaction in this world. And I realize the older I get, I realize that, is that, that satisfaction is not something that is attainable in this world. It's hard to find it. And it's something that I think it comes with age, right? As you get older, we just start to realize it, right? One one thing that I, I realize it has to do with, like you just stop caring as you get older, right? Things start stop mattering as much and you realize that even if you have certain things, they don't it's not it's, it's just they don't satisfy you, right? Like when I was younger I was really about fashion. You know, I like wanted to look nice, I wanted to have the nicest shoes. Like nice pants, I just, you know, like, I'm really old, so they, long time ago, they used to have these Z Cavarici pants, I don't know if you know, when I was in high school, none of you were born then, maybe some of you, but, but they were like expensive, and I, I begged my mom to get it for me, and I, she got them for me, and I remember like, I, I was like so happy that I had these Z Cavarici pants, right? You know, like Google it, <laughs> they're super old, right? But then the older I get, I realize that like fashion, things of this world, like, like, you know, like things that, that, like, used to matter so much to me, they start to matter less. It's because ultimately they don't satisfy. Even important things like marriage and kids. Right? Like, like, you know, Mina and the kids had been away for almost two months in America. I was with them for about two and a half, three weeks. But then for, like, about, you know, a month and a half, I was away from them. They've been gone for about a month since I came back from North America. And so, you know, like like Josh was talking about, like, oh, they're coming back. Are you gonna cry? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not gonna cry. And I'm not like gonna get emotional, right? Because ultimately, what I what I've realized is, although I love my family to death, although you know, like, like I love them, and 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 they give me joy, they give me purpose. You know, they're like the like one of the greatest gifts from God that I've received. But they don't satisfy your soul. You know that. You know that some of you guys that aren't married, that don't have kids, you think, like, if I get married, and if I have kids, dude, I'm going to be satisfied. Let me tell you, right, your family and your kids and your wife, they don't satisfy your soul. Satisfaction is hard to find, and when you find it, it's only temporary. Right? It's a myth. 
that excitement of a new home, the joy of a vacation. You know, they, Nina and the kids, we just came back from vacation. I came back from this vacation uh, three weeks ago, right? And, and, and already it's just like whatever satisfaction I've had from my vacation is gone. <laughs> and like, I, I, like, I think in about like three months from now, me and Mina are both going to be like, I don't go on vacation again, right? Things of this world, they, they, it's only temporary. It's fleeting. Satisfaction is a myth in this world. So many times the world promises satisfaction, you know, getting this, having this, going on this vacation, owning this car, you know, having a home that looks like this. You feel like it's, it's going to satisfy your soul. But ultimately, it, it leaves us wanting more. And in Korea, it's, it's the image, right? Plastic surgery, right? One of the, the, the biggest plastic surgery countries in the world, right? And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've ever like gone somewhere that has like a lot of young people, you start to see women that look alike. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you in Korea? I've like, I've like met women and I'd be like, dude, I've seen you before, but I know it's because they've all had this plastic surgery by the same, like, you know, like, you know, famous plastic surgeon and they all start to look alike, right? And they think that like having this image, having like the, 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 that, what's that one bag that's really expensive by Hermes? It's like some kind of, it's an Hermes bag. I forgot what it's called. I saw it on TV. It's like $20,000, right? right? They think that if they have this bag, I forget what it's called, but it's like a super expensive bag. You know, women, you guys know? Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is it? A Birk, Birkin bag, right? It's like 20 grand. Like 20, I think in Korea it's like 30 grand, right? And they think if they have this bag, they're going to feel satisfied. They're, if they have this image, they have the, they're dressed right, they have the right bag, they look the, the right, they, they feel like it's going to satisfy their soul, but we realize, and they soon realize that it doesn't satisfy their soul, right? You know, like, like drugs, you know, like, you know, we, America is one of the most medicated countries in the world because so many people are on antidepressants, right? It's just, there's commercials for them, right? I, I like, I watch commercials, when I watch, um, like, uh, my NFL, package and they have American commercials. Right, there's a commercial, it's called Hers, and it's basically you go online and you 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 order anti uh depressants. Is that what it's called? Antidepressants? You can just order order antidepressants online. You don't need a doctor and they just send it to your house. Right? It, it's one of the most over medicated countries in the world. And yet so many people they're not finding satisfaction. For a brief moment they may feel it like like when when Mike bought his PS5 a couple of weeks ago, I knew you felt it, right? You felt it, right? But then it, it, it fades, right? It's just another like I got I got my PS5 last year, it broke already, and I was like, I'm no longer satisfied, right? The world will not satisfy you. Things of this world will not satisfy you because you were created to be satisfied by so much more. You know, animals can find satisfaction. Right? Like a squirrel is content being a squirrel. There is no squirrel out there that's climbing the, the acorn ladder trying to become the most rich and most powerful squirrel in all of the land. Right? Squirrels are just squirrels. My dog Nugget is just a dog. She's content being a dog. She's not trying to be more than who she is. As long as she has food, a place to sleep, and like a place that she can do her, you know, like her business. And she gets petted once in a while, and then she has water to drink and a treat once in a while. She's content. She's satisfied. Right? 
However, we're made in God's image and we have a soul. That's what makes us different. We have a soul and our soul wasn't made to be satisfied by created things. But by the Creator. Adam and Eve, God gave them everything that they needed to be satisfied. right? And it came from an intimate and personal relationship with God. They were connected with God. That's where their satisfaction flowed from. Because they were connected with God, they had everything they needed. They were content. They were satisfied in who they were. But when man sinned and was separated by God, there was that hole, there was a chasm left in us, a space that was originally intended for our connection with God. And no matter what we try to fill that chasm with that's found in this world, it will not satisfy us. There's a hole that can only be filled by God. You're trying to fill a God-like shape with a world-shaped peg. Right? just doesn't fit. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. And you might have a career. You might go, be going after a career. You might be going after a family and, and, and kids and marriage. These are all good things. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't have these things. Right? I'm not telling you guys to just, you know, like, like abandon marriage and abandon kids and just, you know, no, no. These are all good things that God wants us to have. You know, and, 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 and this, you know, go after that career, go after that, you know, that marriage, go after that, the thing that you want in your life, but you have to understand ultimately that those things will not satisfy your soul. I'm in seminary and I'm a year from being ordained. Like, that's my goal. Like, my goal is, like, after all this, like, issue that happened with, you know, with people and, like, I, I didn't have a seminary degree and so I, a couple of years ago, I went on this tra- fast track to like get my seminary degree. And I'm a year away. This time next year, I'll have my, I'll, I'll be ordained, right? But this is a goal, right? And it won't satisfy my soul, right? It's just a goal in my life. But I know that even if I am ordained, and even if I am like have all of the qualifications, it still will not satisfy my soul. Your wife can't satisfy you. She will sanctify you, but she cannot satisfy your soul. I'm not saying that I'm not satisfied with my wife. I love my wife to death. I'm very satisfied with my wife. Right? It's not like I need more wives. Right? I just need the one. And I'm I'm satisfied in the one. But she doesn't satisfy my soul. Because she was never meant to satisfy my soul. Right? She's meant to sanctify me, right? Make me bring like irritants into my life to make me a better person. Right? Or same with your kids. Your kids, right, will not satisfy your soul. Right? Sometimes you just want to give them away. Because they were never meant to satisfy your soul. Because only Jesus can satisfy that part of your soul. No matter how much you love, and no matter how much you care for your family, no matter how perfect they are, and, you, and I love my family, right? I know you guys all love your family. Ultimately, you can't expect them to satisfy your soul. A lot of people think that they can, and so they get into marriage without really thinking about it, and then they have kids, and all of a sudden they realize, this is not satisfying, this hole that I have in my heart. That's why there's so many divorces that happen in the world, right? It's not just in America, it's in Korea. It's like, 
like all throughout the world, like the marriage percentage for the longest time, whenever I've read any kind of article, right, it's like at 50%, half the marriages end in divorce, right? Why does that happen? Why is that? Is it, is it because, you know, like, you know, like just, you know, why? It's because people go into it thinking that, oh, I'm going to be satisfied with this person. I'm going to be satisfied with my kids. I'm going to be satisfied with this family that I've created. But ultimately, they realize they don't satisfy that hole that they have. And so they just just, just, just give it up. Right? They go after another marriage. They go after, you know, like, like you know, Mina's, how, you're 40, right? Mina's 40, right? And her friends, and some of her friends are on their second marriage already, right? And it kind of blows my mind, but that's just the way that it is. And a lot of times, it's because people are looking for satisfaction in things that they're not supposed to be satisfied by. There is a hole in your soul that can only be satisfied by God. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to this woman. So you've had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. right? You are restless. You have a longing and you're trying to fill that with men. You're trying to fill that with relationships. You're trying to fill that with, with, with things in, in, in this world that you think that's going to satisfy you. But the only one that can satisfy you is... is Satisfy that longing is God. There are all these barriers that should have kept Jesus from connecting with this woman, but he tears down these barriers and goes right to his message. And it's not, stop sinning, it's, I can satisfy your soul. And, and, and we as men, we have this insurmountable barrier between us and God. And he breaks into our lives with this message, I can satisfy your soul. Your souls were made by me. For me, I can satisfy your soul. I have living water. And you are not thirsty again. You will be satisfied. That's what Jesus is trying to tell this woman. And she's talking about, where's my, where's your bucket? Where's this water that you have? And it's not so much to like point out the fact that She's a she's a floozy. She's a you know like a promiscuous woman. It's to point out that whatever hole that she has, that needs that she's yearning. There's a craving in there, and she's saying that no one, no man will satisfy that part of you. Right? Only God, only I can satisfy that part of you. He knows your sins, and he has a plan for your sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's done. Repent. Turn to him. You have grace. But the purpose of that plan goes back. Before the fall, purpose was for us to be united with Him, enjoying Him, being satisfied by Him. That was His original intention, and this is what the heart of God He wants to satisfy your souls. He is sovereign, and in His sovereignty, He has decided that He wants to be with you. He wants to be connected with you, reconciled with you, in communion with you, to satisfy that part of your soul that belongs to him. And that's that's the heart. This is what Jesus, you know, he he, he goes to Samaria and he he goes to this well and he encounters this woman, right? And and the heart of his message isn't to point out that she's a sinner, but the, the heart of this message is to point out that he can satisfy her soul. There's a part of her that's yearning and, and longing and, and just want in her heart. And she's, he's saying, nothing in this world will fill that 
what will fill that is, is me, a relationship and a connection with the living God. Now sometimes we know, you know that God loves us, but there are times when we actually don't feel satisfied with God. Right? I'm sure you guys have all been in situations in your life where you just, you just don't feel very satisfied with God. You don't feel that closeness. You don't feel that connection. And, and, and how do we, how do we get that? What are some things that we can do to just, to, to eliminate that and draw closer to God? And I have three things for you today that we, we can look at, right? I mean, there's a number of things that can cause this to happen in our life. And the first thing is, right, we are not satisfied by things. We have to, we have to remember that. We are not satisfied by things. Even God's blessings, we are not satisfied by His blessings. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And that good that God, God has for us are not good things, but the only one that is good, right? Jesus says that. Like, the only one that is good is God, is God Himself. He satisfies you with Himself. Right? There's a story of the rich young ruler. It's in many of the Gospels. And, and this, this rich young ruler goes, goes up to Jesus and is like, teacher, like, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And he kind of knows what's up. Like, you know, he knows, he thinks like he's been living a righteous life. You know, he, he's, he's one of those people that just, just, just has it together. You know what I mean? You know, I've ever met those people. You meet somebody, they're young, right? They have it together. Right? They have this great job. They have like all these like, you know, they have all these like abilities and things and you just, they just got it together. And just like this rich young ruler, he just has it together, right? And he's saying, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? And then, you know, and then he, and God, he, he calls him, you know, good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? This is what Jesus says. No one is good except God alone. And Jesus isn't denying his deity. He's not saying that, like, I'm not God, but he's saying that there's no good outside of God, right? And Jesus knew his heart. And so he tells them, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defend. Defraud, honor your father and mother. And he says, I've done all of this since I was a baby. Right? I've done all of this since I was a boy. And then Jesus turns the table on him and he says, he tells them, he's like, this is what you lack. I sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. Jesus isn't telling everyone to sell everything here. Right? He's not telling us to all sell everything and, and give it to the poor and, and, and live a destitute life. But he's saying, choose me. Right? Choose me first. Choose me first. This is what Jesus is telling this Jewish young ruler. He's like, he's like, what must I do to be saved? And he's saying, you know what? Choose me first. Choose me above your wealth. Choose me above your, your status. Choose me above, like, you know, your youth. Choose me. Because I am good. I am gooder and I am better. I know gooder is not a word, but I am more good and I am better than any wealth that you can possess. Choose me. And what does a rich young ruler do? He couldn't do it. He said, the Bible says he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had much wealth. Right? He was a rich man. He had youth. Right? He had his abilities. He, he, had, he had status. He had it all together. 
And for him to, 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 to give that up for Jesus, well, it just was too much. And we have to understand that God, that the good that God has for us isn't his blessing. They're great, but it doesn't end there. It's just like the sprinkle on the cake, but the good that God has for us is himself. He's saying, choose me first. You know, choose him, choose me. He satisfies with his good, which is himself. He satisfies us, you know, knowing him and being in relationship with him. Only he can satisfy our soul. The rich young ruler, he's like, Jesus, what can I do to be saved? And the guy's like, like, I am what you need. And he couldn't, he couldn't choose Jesus. Because only he can satisfy his soul. But so many times our satisfaction is contingent on his blessings. I feel satisfied in the Lord when things are going my way. I feel satisfied in the Lord when I get that promotion. I feel satisfied in the Lord when, you know, you know, when I ask that girl out and, and she, she says yes, you know. I feel satisfied in the Lord when I, when I get like a, a, a new toy. I get satisfied. Like, like, it's just kind of how we are with the blessings of God. We feel more blessed by the blessed, the blessings than the one that blesses us. But here's the thing, you can never be truly satisfied by God when it's God and. Right? You can never be satisfied by God if it's like, I need God and this. A lot of times we go to God like that. We go like, God, I'm satisfied with you, but if you give me this, I will really be satisfied. Right? But we, but here's the truth. We can never be satisfied in God when it's God. I need God in this. Like whatever it is that we are longing for in this world. Jesus' number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this requires a relationship with Him where we choose Him and we give Him utter devotion. It has to be first for all of this to work right in our lives. And that means you obey. When he says obey, it means you pray. You live a life of prayer, a life communicating with him in, in the word, a life communicating him through prayer, loving him, being in relationship with him, worshiping, being in his presence. Knowing that he is everything and without him, all is lost. Right? That's the fear of the Lord. A lot of times people think that fear of the Lord is like, like being terrified of God. No. The fear of the Lord is being terrified not to have God. Have you ever imagined what the Bible says about our eternal, eternal, like, destiny when we don't have Jesus? And it's taking that and then having this fear, this immense fear of thinking like, good, God is so amazing. If I don't have Him, right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eternally lost. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's choosing God. That's choosing Jesus, saying, God, I need you over everything and anything in this world and in this life. I want to ask you today, what are you facing? What are you facing today? What are the blessings that, that you want? Or, or what are the blessings that you're crying out to God for? Right? How, what is your relationship and how are you facing Him? What are your priorities? 
Do you want God to give you something or do you want God? It's like, it's like my kids, right? You know, like, my kids will ask me for things all the time, right? When we, whenever we go anywhere, like a store, and they see something they want, they're just like, God, I mean, not God. Dad, can I buy this? Can I have this? When we go to Home Plus, can we go look at the toy section? I'm like, all right. Can I buy this? Right? They always want something, you know? But imagine if there was no relationship there and all they wanted from me was things. If they just, if, if I was just uh, like a, one of those pokey machines where they put coins in me and I just give them toys, right? But a lot of times that's how we, that's how we look at God. But we fail to realize that the only one that can truly satisfy us and truly, you know, bring reality and bring, you know, just fulfillment in our life eternally is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we're we're not satisfied by things, but we can only be satisfied by God Himself. And it starts from choosing Him, choosing Jesus. Do you choose Him above all else? And then the next one, I believe this just kind of, you know, it affects all of us, but it could be your diet. And I'm not talking about like what you eat. It can be that, but it can also be, you know, like, like what are you, what are you spending time on? What are you looking on? What are you dwelling on? What, what are you focused on? And you can have filet mignon in front of you, but if you've been snacking on, you know, Doritos and, you know, like, you know, what's a good snack these days, right? Like, you know, popcorn and candy. You're not gonna, that steak is not gonna be appetizing. You know, like a few weeks ago, we had this men's night. A lot of you guys are there. We got together at my house and I cooked the brisket. I haven't cooked the brisket in a long time. But, cause I, we have a roof that we cook barbecue on, but then my barbecue machine kind of broke. Like, the legs rusted away, so I can't, like do it on the roof anymore. I had to do it in my oven, and it took me 13 hours, 12, more than 13 hours to make this brisket. And I ordered something from Coupon, and I had to. I thought it was going to get delivered, but it didn't get delivered till five o'clock in the afternoon, and so I couldn't start my brisket till five o'clock. And it takes 12 hours. And I have an oven where you can't just set the timer and go to bed. You have to. The highest timer that you have is an hour and a half, right? And so I would set it to hour and a half, and then I would go and do my thing, and I would set an alarm, and then the alarm would go off, and I would go back, and I had to twist it to an hour and a half again. So I had to do that like a bunch of times, right? And I had to stay up to almost 4 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, so I could do that last little bit so that I can cook all 13 hours. And then I went to bed at 4.30 in the morning, and then when I woke up, it was done, right? And I let it cool, and I put it in the refrigerator, and then we had it the next day. Imagine that I spend all this time making like this amazing brisket and then Melvin comes and then he's like, oh, you know what? I'm not that hungry because on my way here, I stopped by a GS25 and I got one of those, you know, those like hamburgers that you can microwave. I ate two of those and and, and, and a Coke and I, I feel I feel like pretty full so I don't, I don't think I can eat your brisket, right? If that happened, what would I do? I would kick him out of my house, right? <laughs> I'd be like, get out of here, Melvin. I don't have anything to do with you, right? But but that's kind of what we do with God. Right? God is amazing. 
Jesus is amazing, but then we fill our lives with so many of these things that just kind of distracts and just kind of like consumes our time and our energy. And then we just, when we go to God, we just don't have what it, we just don't have the appetite to see and experience the fullness of who God is. We have to be aware of what we are putting into our system, what our attention is on, what our heart is focused on. Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's telling us to dwell on things that are just like, like not the things of this earth. Colossians 3.2, it says, Set your minds on things above and not on things that are on this earth, right? Set your minds on eternal things and don't be focused so much on the things of this world. You know what, TV, Netflix, Disney Plus, you know, Mina has her advice, Korean dramas, these things aren't necessarily like evil, but in the end, they don't satisfy, right? Like BTS is coming to Busan, right? It's a free concert, and like the chances of you getting, getting tickets is like almost zero, right? But say you do get a BTS ticket, right? And you are able to go and you're able to experience this amazing concert, but at the end of the day, that won't satisfy your soul. What things are you snacking on? Right? If there's sin in your life, that's definitely going to cause you to feel far from God. Right? If you have certain sins in your life that you're not repenting for, you're not turning away from, that's going to cause you to feel far from God, and you're just you're not going to you know have any kind of real appetite towards God, right? But then what else, like, like, even if you may not, like, have this, like, like, apparent, like, sin in your life, I want to ask you, what are you snacking on? What are the things that are just, like, you're consuming in this world that's causing you to just feel, you look at God and you just don't have an appetite, right? We have to, we have to set our priorities with God. Right? Let's set our priorities with God. And then the third thing that can cause you to kind of not feel so, you know, close to God is that it just God's love and discipline. Sometimes you're doing everything you can and your desire is there, but you just can't feel it. I've gone through seasons like this in my life. Things with God just feels flat. You know, you know that God loves you, but you just don't feel it. You, you just don't have that spark. You just don't have that zeal in your life. Joy is hard to find. He feels far and it not really has to do with like sin issues in your life. And, and it's not deception. And, and, and a lot of times I feel like, well, what's going on? Well, here's the thing. God just might love you so much that He's disciplining you. It says in the Bible that God disciplines the ones He loves. Right? God's discipline comes sometimes when you're doing everything right. You might be doing everything right in your life, and then God feels far. And it just might be that God is disciplining you. You might be in a season of wilderness, he might remove certain grace that might you might have over your life. And in those seasons, when things feel hard, when things feel like you're moving in mud and you and you want you want to run with the Lord, but you feel this resistance and it just, just he just feels far, it just might be that he's disciplining you. He has you in a wilderness season. He wants you to call out to him. And when, when those things happen, what you have to do is you have to stand on the word of God. Right? You have to stand on the word of God. It's kind of like, you know, like I, I've never flown an airplane, but I've heard 
pilots talk about, oh, he, he's flown an airplane, right? When you can't really see anything, right? There's times where you're in, in an airplane and I've been in an airplane. I look out the window and all I see is white. I don't know if it's, we're going up or we're going down. We're just in this huge cloud and I don't know what. You can't see anything beyond the wing. All you see is white. How do you fly? What do you, what do you, what do you hold on to when it's like that? What do you do? You, you look at your instruments. Right? You look at all of the dials. I don't know what, what any of those dials are. He knows he's a pilot. He's in, he's in the Air Force. He flies airplanes. So like, explain to me one day how that works. But you, pilots, they just look at the dials. They look at whatever is on the, on the little, you know, the, 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 what is that called? Like the, like the, the dashboard or whatever. And they, they look at that. And, and, and they don't look at what's out there. They look at what the airplane is saying. Is like, this is the direction that you're going, right? And that's kind of like the Word of God for us. When things start to like look fuzzy, when things are getting hard, when you feel like you're in this wilderness season and Jesus feels far and you, you have this, you love God, but He just doesn't feel close and you, you, you feel like, ah, oh, there's this resistance in my life. What you do is you stand on the Word of God. You stand, you, you believe what the Bible says God, you know, he, how God feels about you instead of what you think that God feels about you, right? Whatever you are perceiving in the world and how you feel your relationship with, is with the God, you, you don't look at that, but you look at, and you focus on what the Word of God says about you and what God, and how much Jesus loves you and how much God wants to, wants to, you know, just connect with you and fill that void in your heart and in your life. Right? This has to be a reality more than what you see with your eyes and you hear with your ears. You stand on the Word of God. The Word of God tells us that He is for us, He's not against us. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any power, neither heights, nor death, nor any else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You stand on the Word of God. And you cry out. What happens when you get lost in the wilderness? Who's ever gotten lost before in the wilderness? Anybody? I got I got lost in the forest one time when I was young. It wasn't, I wasn't that lost, but I got really scared and I found... No, but like, who's ever gotten lost in the wilderness? Right? When you're lost in the wilderness, what do you do? Do you just kind of like sit under a tree and die and just go to sleep? No, you cry out. Like, help! Help! Is anybody out there? Like in Korean, he's like, Shalom You know? You cry out, right? And that's what, that's what wilderness seasons are for. It's not for you to just like be like all just, like, I, I don't care. I, like, ah, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm just gonna just like, you know, I'm just gonna forget about it. I sit underneath this tree and just let my spiritual life just like pass away. No. When you have, when you're in this, when God feels far, when and you and you don't feel that connection with him, when he's not sad, when you don't feel that satisfaction, but you know that God God loves you and he's for you, and you cry out to him, I cry out to God, like, God, I need you, I want you, I desire you. I've had seasons like this where I just this is like like the only way that I can explain it for me and Mina was just this this, this wilderness season that we were on, and 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 we've had we've had temptations to give up, but. Ultimately, we continue to cry out to God, like, God, I I need your presence in my life. You stand on the Word of God. You cry out in the wilderness. Wilderness, you know, it it should cause you to cry out to God. And every season that God has you in might be be the, the very 
thing that you need for the next season of your life. Whatever wilderness season that God has you in, it just might be you need to learn something for the next season and the next breakthrough of your life. So when God doesn't feel like He's close, when He feels far, when you when you when you want to be satisfied by Him, but He's just you don't feel that satisfaction. You just feel that there's this yearning in your heart, and you just, everything just feels like wilderness. And what you do is you see it as God's love and God's discipline, and you cry out to Him, God, I need you. And I want to close with this. In his last thought, when your soul is satisfied in him, that's when you can truly be satisfied in yourself. Right? If who you are, your identity, right, like, like is dependent on your satisfaction of God. And when you when you know who you are, and when you know your identity, and when you know how amazing God is and how much He loves you. Right, then you're able to be satisfied in the blessings of God and you're able to be satisfied in yourself. Right? And that's, that's what a life of thanksgiving looks like. When you're truly satisfied in Him, right, your life becomes true worship. In Jesus' interaction with the woman, He talks about how God is looking for true worshipers. He says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And that worship flows from being satisfied in Him. Right? Our true worship comes from being satisfied in God. Our lives become true worship to Him when we are satisfied by Him. David he proclaims it in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that, within, all that is within me, bless His holy name. He's like, Bless Him because I, you know, I'm satisfied by Him. If you've ever read any of John Piper's books, right, anybody of you guys read John Piper? I read a lot of John Piper when I was, when I came back to the Lord. My cousin was a huge John Piper fan and he kind of made me read a bunch of his books. But he has this thing and he's kind of, he kind of like coined the term and it's called Christian hedonism. I don't know if you guys know what hedonism is. Do you guys know what hedonism is? Like, it's like, you know, like just satisfying yourself with whatever is out there. Right? It's kind of like, you know, hedonistic, like, oh, whatever pleasure is out there, I'm just going to just, I'm just going to do it because it's like that's the only thing that matters in the world. Well, Christian hedonism, right? says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. So we, we our, 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 our understanding of God and, and, and how He is glorified has everything to do with us being satisfied and being pleased and, and, and in experiencing this, this connection and this, this fulfillment that can only come from God. It says God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. God tore down the barriers, He tore the veil, He made a way, and His desire is to satisfy your souls. And everything, true repentance, obedience, our affections and our love, flows out of that satisfaction. True thanksgiving flows out of us being satisfied by God. True worship flows out of being satisfied by God. It requires us to do what the rich young ruler could not do, to choose Him above all else. This requires spiritualize. Jesus was trying to satisfy this woman's soul and she was talking about a bucket. And we can only choose Jesus if we are seeing things through the lens of the Spirit. 
And we, we, when we look to God, we have, we have to, we have to shift into that place of the spirit. And one way that we can live a life where we are spiritually minded is through praise and worship, right? And, and that praise, true praise and true worship flows when we are truly satisfied in Him, satisfied in Jesus, satisfied in who God is. So today I want to close our service with a song of praise. If praise thing, you guys can come up. I want us to close with, with this song. We can all stand up and we'll close this time for us today. But I want us to kind of look at this list that, that we had up there, right? The, the, the three points that were up there is that we're not satisfied by the things of, the, of this world. And, and what we ingest, what we take in, can affect how we are satisfied by God. And then lastly, that ultimately our satisfaction should lead to a, a, a crying out, a relationship, a, a desire, a, 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 an unction for us to cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I need you more than all else. I need you in that place where you feel that, that void that is inside me, that void, that, that yearning, that, that emptiness that is inside me. Only you can fill that. And when we feel far from God, we stand on the Word of God and say, God, you're with me. You are not against me. The Word of, the word of God tells me that nothing in heaven, in hell, in the past, in the future, in, in, in whatever it is, in life or death, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it comes, this worship comes, thanksgiving comes from a place of being satisfied in who God is. So let's close with this song. And I'll, and I'll close this in prayer afterwards. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul. I love you satisfy. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul with your love. You make my heart sing. You lift me on evil's wings. Just when I thought that my heart would fail, you take the darkest night. Eternity shining light Just when I thought that the night has won You satisfy my soul You satisfy my soul You satisfy my soul with your love, you satisfy. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul. You satisfy my soul. With your love, Hallelujah. You may all 
us to not look to the things and not be so overly focused on things 
of this world and things in our lives and things that we want and things that we, we are going after, Lord. Although those things may be blessings from you, help us to never forget that you are the blesser. And our heart and our desires and our, that yearning in our hearts, that, that void in our heart can only be filled by you, Jesus Christ, in a relationship with you. So we pray right now. Help us to set our priorities. Help us to look to you. Help us to not not dilute or, or over-consume and, and, and make ourselves ruin our appetite for who you are because you are you are the only one that can satisfy our soul eternally. And so Lord, as it says in Colossians, help us to set our minds on things above and not on things that are on the earth. May we look to you and find our, find our satisfaction, find our, our worth, our value, and our yearning and, and our desires may be found in you and who you are in our lives. We thank you, Lord, not to whom is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.